What's up, guys? This is your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and you are listening to episode 15 of Behind the Facade, where I explore the mental and emotional game playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate and property market. So, guys, welcome. It is Friday, the 7th of August, and I just wanted to start out the beginning of this podcast with a, a quick, I guess, um, extension of my sympathy and uh, thoughts to the people of Beirut. I, I was watching the news this week and I saw that incredible explosion that took place in the docks uh, in Beirut. And um, it's just mind blowing the power of that explosion. And there's a lot of people hurt, missing and injured. So just my thoughts out um, to begin with. I'm here in the East Point office and it's Friday evening. And I'm kind of packing up. I'm actually going to be taking next week uh, off and um, my wife is expecting. So there is a uh, few things that I have to do back home. But don't worry, the, the episodes are going to continue. And so you don't need to worry about missing out uh, while I'm off. So last week's episode was uh, my very first interview on the podcast. Um, it was with Mr. Jerry Tate, architect from London. And I'm very curious to know, what did you guys think of the episode? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? Um, do you want more of those kind of episodes? It would be useful to know. So if you if you have the time, please just drop me a, a note. And let me know what you thought, if there's any ways I can improve, because I'm looking all, all the time. I'm looking for ways to try to improve this podcast. This week, I'm playing another interview back to you, and this time it is with Mr. Chung Ha Cha. Now, before I get into an introduction to Chung Ha, a couple of housekeeping, uh, my usual updates. Last week, I mentioned my burpee challenge that I have started. So I've, to those of you who haven't heard it yet, I've taken on a challenge, personal challenge, stretch goal, you might say, and it's to do 10,000 burpees in the month of August. Uh, for charity. And that, just to those of you who want to quickly work it out, that is an average of 325 burpees per day for 31 consecutive days. So I am now at day seven and that is 2,550 burpees done. So I'm slightly out of schedule. And if you guys want to track my progress on this, or if you want to participate, or if you want to donate, then please check out my website, gavinjgallagher.com forward slash challenge. And there'll be a couple of links there to the apps that I'm tracking my progress on and to the GoFundMe page where you can donate if you are so willing. Um, getting into the oh, second update is just the Facebook group behind the facade community. You guys are probably well aware of it now at this stage, if you're listening for a while. It's currently at 186 members, and this is the area where I interact with the listeners. So if you guys are interested in participating in the uh, Q&A sessions that I do live on Facebook, or if you want to um, just participate in general on the show, then that would be the best place to reach out to me. Um, obviously, you'll find me in the usual spots like LinkedIn and things like that. Um, so, look, without further ado, I'm going to get into the main part of the show, the interview with Mr. Chung Ha Cha. So I'm thrilled to be able to bring you this episode. It is a, a conversation with Mr. Chung Ha Cha, who is a world renowned expert on smart cities and sustainability. Uh, I just want to preface this, though, first of all, by saying that this is my first ever interview for the podcast. You heard me talking to Jerry Tate last week, but that wasn't my first interview. This interview you're about to hear today, I recorded back in February. 
And it was before COVID-19 had hit us all. And I'd only just thought about starting a podcast. And so I hadn't worked out the format. And you'll see from listening to me that I'm a bit stiff sounding and I haven't quite gotten into the hang of it yet. So pardon for that. And um, you'll also find the interview is a very wide ranging and quite drawn out. And I actually, believe it or not, I've cut 30 minutes from the recording when I was editing this just to make it a little bit more to the point. So we're going to be covering sustainability, smart cities and prop tech today. I also just want to apologize about some of the poor audio. Um, due to the time difference between Korea and Ireland, Chung Hao was a full eight hours ahead of me and was actually winding down at home for the evening when we spoke. So you'll hear a couple of clangs from the wine glass and uh, in the background. And um, there's a little bit of audio issues that, um, I, you know, obviously, as you get more experience with podcasting, you start to figure these things out. Anyway, just the other thing I wanted to kind of mention was just some of the experience that um, Chung Ha has. This is a very, very special episode. Chung Ha is the co-founder of the Reimagining Cities Foundation, and he has a super impressive resume. He attended the Wharton School of Economics in the US, and he did an MBA at Columbia Business School. And then he worked in Citibank for a couple of years before becoming the managing director and a board member at the Asian Banking Corporation. And then this was followed by a stint as the CEO of Lone Star Korea. And he's also been the vice chairman of the Korean Green Building Council. So for those of you who are starting out at the beginning of your careers, some of the stuff that we're talking about here today might seem a little bit irrelevant to where you're at. This interview today, this discussion is more of a fly on the wall type overview of some of the issues facing very senior real estate executives across the world. So while it may not seem relevant to the position that you're in, I can guarantee this is super important stuff. And what happens at the big companies and corporations trickles down to the smaller companies. So what you're hearing today is stuff that is going to be relevant to you in a couple of years time. So pay attention and take out your notes because there's a ton of value in this episode. So without further ado, guys, Mr. Chung Ha Cha. Welcome, Chung Ha. Um, I just thought I would uh, start off the conversation with a very brief introduction. Um, you're the chairman of the uh, Sustainable Cities. Is that correct? Yes, we call ourselves uh, Reimagining Cities. And you're based in Seoul, Korea. Yes, we are. But you work all over the world, I understand. Yes, I would really love to work here in Korea, but uh, frankly speaking, I think on the smart city space, uh, Korea is uh, lagging a little bit behind. Uh, that's and I think interesting. I would have thought. Yeah. yeah, I would have thought the opposite. Yeah. I think Korea is very good with heavy industry, um, you know, producing um, the tech. But I think when it comes to solutions, the software, the soft side of smart cities, right. I think uh, Korea needs a, a lot to learn. We're very top-down heavy. Yeah. And of course, you understand. Uh, you you know that smart cities, it's more they're trying to get to the people-centric type of smart cities where it's more of a bottom-up approach, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think I, that's where we've kind of not good at. Right, okay. Well, it's funny because I, I saw you one of your photographs on the WhatsApp group, and it's all of your uh, conference badges 
I think you've described. No, um, yes, yes. You are. Uh, I think I don't think I've ever seen so many in my life, and uh, it kind of gave me the impression uh, the word uh, conference junkie certainly applies to you. So uh, the fact that you've been around the world, and I mean, it looks like you've been to hundreds of these conferences. Is there any cities that stand out as particularly advanced in the uh, in the smart cities and uh, in the green? I mean, obviously Copenhagen comes to mind. I was just curious from your perception where where the kind of uh, the trends are being established and who's the leading cities out there. Right. Well, um, in answer to your question, first I think you know everyone has a slightly different uh, understanding of or definition of what a smart city is. We kind of look at it uh, along, um, number one, does it have a vision? Two, um, three, and four, we look at smart city has to be a sustainable city. And sustainability, we define it as people, planet, profit. Right. It has to be, for the people, social sustainability. Um, planet, meaning environmental uh, sustainability or low impact to the environment. And then, of course, it, it, um, smart city needs to be uh, a driver for economic growth. I love Copenhagen for many reasons, but uh, they stand out clearly because they have a vision toward a uh, becoming a, a carbon neutral city by 2025. Yeah, it's incredible. Many, many cities, many countries, they throw it out to 2050, 2040, but. Copenhagen, you know, 2025 is like almost day after tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. It's only five years from now. And they've made significant progress um, toward achieving those goals. Now, whether they become carbon neutral by 2025 or not, I don't think that's very important. It's that everyone is so engaged to get there. Enthusiastic, right? yeah. Yes, and in the process, they're creating new businesses. They're creating e ecosystems for clean energy, uh, you know, smart uh, grid or uh, using renewable energy, uh, uh, just changing behavior of people, energy efficiency, uh, you know, less. Oh, it's, I love Copenhagen for uh, many, many reasons. The other cities, you know, I think there are a lot of cities that are on this journey. And so, um, you know, which ones stand to mind? Um, I think Singapore does a pretty good job uh, in engaging their people. I don't like uh, their um, their planet piece, meaning uh, their buildings are not that energy efficient. Right. Um, I like uh, Amsterdam. I think uh, London is doing a lot. New York is doing a lot in terms of trying to use data and then they're changing their streetscapes to get rid of uh, cars and make it a you know, huge sidewalks where people can enjoy sitting outside on, on the streets. So they're well, I've seen in, um, in London, I was at the, uh, the Bloomberg, the new headquarters that he built. Um, mm. It's now, I think it, it scored 98 point five whereas the edge was 98.36 or something like that yeah and uh, it'll be won't be long before it's passed again and somebody gets to 98.6 or something like that oddly enough you know i'm i'm so passionate about smart uh, cities and green buildings or very energy uh, efficient buildings I, I don't like the certification systems right you know like briam or lead or um i think they're just you know you know, if you want to have a great building, go, go to carbon neutrality and make it very healthy. 
Yeah, no, I agree. The only thing is, is it's and and I and I totally agree with you on the certification because it sometimes it seems to me to be a bit of a um, it's guys using other people's desire to do this to kind of leverage uh, a profit mm-hmm. out of it because these these it's expensive to to get this certification mm-hmm. and it's the same with the wellness with mm-hmm. wellness certification. I understand that it's quite an expensive process to actually become a wellness uh, mm-hmm. building. Do you, how often do you go to conferences per year, would you say? I like to speak at maybe five to ten conferences a year, and I probably wind up going to 15, sometimes 20. Yeah. Um, and mo- most of them are not here in Korea. I go to like one or two here in Korea. Um, yeah. But I think uh, when I looked at all these badges and I said, oh, my God, that's a lot of money. It is. Invest- <laughs> that's an investment, yeah. Uh, so I said, mm, maybe uh, I'll go a little bit less and focus on um, two mega projects that uh, I'm working on. One is Lakeview Village. Okay, and, I've heard uh, of this. Yeah, I've heard you speak about this before. This, mm. is, uh, this is different to the Sidewalk Labs project. Yes. Just as ambitious, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, the develop- I've been working with them as a smart city advisor for about a year now. And um, and in the beginning, they didn't really understand it. But now, over time, as they kind of, they're on our WhatsApp group chat, and they see a lot of links, and they kind of read up on it. And now they're really engaging, and they're saying, oh, you know, they're starting to get it, right? So, so it's very exciting. And now they've invited me to um, go for about a week, almost 10 days to, um, at the end of the month, to spend time with them. And right. inviting me to like meetings with the city and the smart city. They have a smart city master plan. Okay. And uh, attend meetings. They have a town hall meeting where they're going to invite the community and they're going to be explaining uh, certain aspects of this development because they just got their master plan approved in November last year. So two right. months ago. Yeah, so that means they're going to start building first phase end of this year or early next year. So it's right. going to start moving pretty fast. Yeah, it looks ambitious. I mean, it's a that's a big, what is it, 150 acres or something? Wow, good eye. 177 acres. Wow, yeah, it does. It looks, it looks like a very, and I like the fact that it's got the kind of the waterfront there. That's, it's, uh, yeah, it looks very nice. That'll be a nice project. Uh, one of the issues that I find is that um, building a new project is great, and the economics a lot of the time stack up. But as I have, as I've explained to you, we have an existing business park here, where yes. we have buildings that are uh, uh, approaching twenty years in some cases, and. Um, when you're in into that situation, the economics are quite different, and actually converting it to a sustain well, I mean, carbon neutral is almost impossible to achieve uh, when you're at this kind of age, economically speaking. I mean, the economics are not there to do it. Uh, our tenants they can do that, but what in order to achieve that, they bought the building and then they spent so much money on it that could never be recovered from an economic standpoint. Uh, you would not rent the building at a, at a level that would ever repay that investment. However, from their point of view, it's their own building. It's an investment that they can kind of stand over because it ticks a lot of boxes for them. But as a developer looking at it, 
they just there's just no return on the on the on the quantum that they spent. So uh, it makes it kind of difficult for us. And I wonder, have you come across this problem in your uh, capacity as an advisor to different developers around the world? And what is your advice? Well, I th- the the common perception that going sustainable is uh, not profitable or it's too expensive. Um, it's very very commonplace. And I'm, when I ask, well. What did they do and how much did they spend? They don't know. I get you. And so what I encourage investors or portfolio owners is just to start calculating like I asked you to do, right? Yeah. Uh, Manually. Let's get the old Excel spreadsheet out. It's a little cumbersome, but until you understand uh, the kind of metrics that we want to manage, um, then if you think that it's worth managing, then you have to measure it, right? What, my, what gets measured gets uh, improved. Yes. Well, good old Peter Drucker, um, you know, famous professor at MIT. If you want to manage it, you have to measure it. And if you don't measure it, it does not get managed, period. So that's uh, so. Even with the Lakeview guys, I said, "Hey, if you want to do this like smart city development, we got to think about what are the metrics and what do we want to measure." In your case, you have an existing, you know, large portfolio of real estate. If you want to manage savings through energy, how much energy are you spending now? Right. And let's try to get as granular as we can without spending any money on fancy bells and whistles and sensors. If your, uh, you know, energy supply just goes into these buildings and you cannot even segregate by building, then maybe I would suggest, hey, why don't you invest in a meter so that you can just meter at at each building level you don't even have to go very very granular to every floor yeah no and i mean the thing is, it's the yeah. first step in the process i guess is to measure is to start measuring those kind of metrics that's in, in terms so, of energy usage and then obviously that if, when your energy usage is a certain level then you know that your your fabric um is obviously of a certain quality in order to require that much energy to heat it or to cool it is so that, um you you guys work in euros, yes? Is yes, that your currency? Okay, let's say uh, we can uh, save 50,000 euros per billing per year. Now, that is, that's very small money, right? It's not even worth uh, the attention of an executive like you or many executives out there. So when you have a portfolio of billings, and let's just assume we save 50,000 euros Multiply that across a hundred buildings in your portfolio, and that's five million euro per year savings. But not save well, it's savings, but it's also increase in net operating income. So cap that at a net operating income at a five percent yield, and it starts to add up. Well, that's you just increase the valuation of your portfolio five million euro divided by. 0.05 you just increased the valuation of your portfolio by 100 million euro that's what the objectives should be and 
in the process, you have just made your buildings a little more environmental friendly because we're driving down energy and we're driving down greenhouse gases. That should be the, the objective. Yeah. Right? Let's make money. That's what we want to do. But if we can incorporate that together with the sustainability objective of driving down energy, now that's a nice win-win. This is where your, your point, people, planet, and profit comes into Yes, it. yes, yes. And uh, with existing portfolios, you know, you have the luxury of, uh, uh, you know, almost 50 buildings right there. Let's do the math. And, yeah, no. and yeah, I don't know if you can save 50,000 uh, euros uh, per building. Uh, maybe it's only 20,000 euros per year per building. But we won't know until we start putting those energy bills that you paid. Let's go back one year to two years and have one of your analysts start putting in those figures into an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about IoT uh, devices and um, the kind of stuff that you're seeing used, used in the cities and stuff? Um, well, as an example, I know that um, I spoke to my friends in Oracle last week, and they, their new building that I mentioned has um, is completely interconnected. The, the, the BIM is connected to all of their IoT devices, and it's their lighting and their sensors everywhere. Yeah. And in right. their toilet, just as a very small example, they, they have... Um, they have a toilets that um, and the lights above each cubicle turn on every time they're in use. And they discovered that one of the cubicles in their toilets was never getting used. From morning to night, nobody ever went into it. And yet they were sending a cleaner in three times a day to clean that toilet. And so they realized that um, they could actually re redeploy that cleaner, you know, efforts elsewhere. So there's a saving there, but there's also, you know, there's, there's less chemicals being used and there's um, less kind of time being spent. So they've, they've estimated, I think, that the building is now saving them 85,000 a year or something like that from just yeah. IoT devices that they've kind of mm. installed. <clears throat> That's a small example of just some of the benefits. And I know that, you know, um, the smart Dublin uh, Docklands area, they, they're, they're sensing the air quality and mm. the, the rain, the amount of rain that's, they're going to try to harvest the rain so as uh, to make use of all of these, uh, as you know, make it as sustainable as possible, but also the health and welfare of the people who live in the city is very important. Well, for us in our, um, this project that we're having in um, Toronto, um, of course, uh, having sensors inside the building, uh, we like the edge technologies approach where they've uh, used um, This is Kuhn van, van Ostrom's company, uh, formerly OVG, isn't it, or OGV? Yes, correct. OVG real estate became edge technologies. And in uh, many of their buildings, what they're doing, um, they put lighting over Ethernet. Oh, yeah. Right. So in the ceilings, uh, they don't use copper wire. So you can, you don't have to buy any copper wire in your bill of materials. Uh, they buy Ethernet cables, which you need for internet connections. Cat and their wire. whole ceiling, uh, they use low voltage lighting over Ethernet. So now your whole ceiling uh, becomes a sensory network, right? So you have the cabling there. 
and you have portals at, uh, at each light fixture. They have a little port where you can stick in a sensor. Right. And it measures temperature, temperature. Hu humidity, CO2 levels. They can even put a photo sensors. So if there's no, a movement, um, then they would um, shut the light off or dim the lights. But if you look at the uh, CO2, I think the CO2 might not be in the ceiling. It's in the wall because CO2 is a little bit heavier than air. Right. So um, there are studies by Harvard saying, hey, if there is a high level CO2, X ppm exceeding 300 ppms or something, you know, parts per million, then human beings start to get tired. Yeah, and they've done a, Yeah, they've done a study where uh, if you sit in a room with a higher CO2, your response time or your cognitive test is uh, poor or less than a clean air room. So it affects high performance, yeah. Right, right. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then the temperature and humidity, that's all about comfort. That's all yeah. about health and well-being. So uh, those kind of sensors I find quite um, important. And also you kind of uh, market to your tenants, uh, people who work and visit there, saying, hey, we are monitoring these conditions so that you have a very healthy environment, right? Uh, can you, uh, I, I haven't, um, I, I've looked at uh, some of their work before and it looks really interesting um, to me. One of, one of the issues that I've uh, tried to kind of come to terms with is the is the sharing of the data because um, if I go and, and fit out a building and then a tenant comes along, is it difficult to convince the tenant to continue sharing all of that internal data with you? Is that a conversation that uh, that you know anything about? No, I, I don't know about that. Uh, I think uh, that would be taken care of in the lease. For right. example, I have a net zero energy house in in Boston. Um, Two-family house, very, you know, I just bought it, bought it and renovated into a net zero energy house. Right. I just want to feel what it was like. And it's really not that difficult, right? Net zero and, energy. Yeah. Yes. And, and the same principles go to any building, right? The process of analysis. And for me, we, we did that. So um, the downstairs unit my daughter lives in, the upstairs unit I rent out. So in the rent uh, agreement, I explained to them, I am monitoring the energy usage of both units. And I monitor how much solar energy is being produced for your unit. And I, I understand how much you know, you're, you're using for lighting, for air conditioning, for heating. I have that data. So by signing this lease, you are authorizing me access to that data. Okay. And if you want access to the data, you're more than welcome. Here's the password. This is the uh, tool that we're using. That's interesting. Yeah, I can see. I can see if you built it into the lease how that would work all right. And it's for their yeah. benefit, ultimately. Right. I mean, in in the case of Edge, do they actually manage the space for on on behalf of the tenant in terms of those? Uh, you know, CO2 levels and uh, lighting and heating and all that? Well, when I went to Amsterdam, um, they have their new Edge 2.0 building. Um, 
right? The Edge Olympic, which is oh yeah, Olympic. Uh, I've heard of it. Just yeah. a few blocks away from their original Edge that they, I think, sold to Deloitte, or Deloitte is. Anyway, um, it appears that they are just uh, managing, owning, and managing the whole property. Now they do have a um, sub out some parts of it where they have a um, co-working space. Right. And I think they have a co-working company to manage what goes on there. But uh, again, the ceilings, um, sensory network, you know, that data is there is being collected by edge, right? Mm. That's what that's that to me, it does. It seems very interesting. Uh, obviously, um, OVG were already kind of quite a big developer prior to getting involved in this. So they, um, I guess they're not that big. Were they not? I understand. Yeah, from my understanding, it weren't that big. Okay. They got big, right? Now, I spoke to the CTO, uh, Eric Ubels. Yeah. Yeah, and um, he was walking me around the building in Edge to uh, Olympic building. And, of course, to the common eye, you don't know really what's going on in that building. And we were walking around, and he was pointing out things. So he was explaining to me the ceiling and he's got all these ideas for, you know, the next generation ceiling that he's uh, making. So he says, Cha, I can make this building at the same price that the guy, the regular developer is building their stupid buildings. Really? Same price. So what he, so he says, look, look at the architect. He goes in and he has like, um, you know, 30,000 options to choose from. Uh, from this database of building materials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He goes, I define 30 crucial design parameters for that. So ceiling, you're going to put in this ceiling. The ceiling manufacturer, they have several um, uh, suppliers, and they supply all of their buildings. Right. Now, the look and feel might be slightly different, but the essential sensory network is in there. So the more they buy, the cheaper it goes down. And then he goes, the, uh, the elevators, I buy not just 10, I buy 50 or 100 because we've specified the exact size of this elevator for all of our buildings. Now, there might be some exceptions, but anyway. Um, so what, they're, they're building an economy of scale. Right. He's thinking, right? And he's, and he's starting to get it into a, a, a system there, right? right. So why recreate something that's working pretty well? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a great yeah, idea. It's, I think so. I, I think, um, and you know, the, the edge, the first edge building is a net zero energy building. Yeah. And they sold it at a profit, right? Yeah, that's what's interesting. All right. Yeah. So they made money on it. Now, did they make, uh, you know, uh, the, the IRR that you're, that, real estate investors are supposed to be making. That's well, good. then I asked the real estate investor, I used to work for Lone Star uh, Real Estate Fund. Right. Okay? I was CEO for Lone Star Real Estate Fund in Korea. Do we make our target IRR and all of our investments? Obviously not. Yeah. But on some, we make a lot more than we did underwrite. Uh, I don't think we ever lost any money on ev every deal that we did. We didn't lose any money. Like VCs, they lose money on uh, some of their investments, and that's okay. For Lone Star, we had to make money on every investment. Yeah. 
but, but going back to uh, trying to do it smart and green and very near uh, carbon neutral or near net zero, you can find that sweet spot where it it is within inflection the, point. The, yeah, yeah, the the attractive um, investment return. You can get it within that range. And uh, that's actually something that uh, I've noticed uh, lately is that a lot more people in the investment community are starting mm -hmm. to realize that this is is key uh, kind of in terms of investment. I mean, sustainability has got to the point now where if you're if you're looking at developing a building, it's not sustainable. The likelihood is you're not going to find a tenant for it at the, at the when it's built. And, yeah. Um, I was looking at Jim Cramer, you know, the uh, stock analyst who's on MSNBC quite a bit. He's, he's a colorful character, well known on, um, on, the, on the TV. And he was asked a question about, you know, the latest stock picks and things like that. And he was saying that um, he's through, he's done with fossil fuels. And uh, he was mentioning, you know, BP and uh, Exxon and all of these oil companies they have all started to be uh, to see that they're being divested by the major investors in the world because they're now the managers of these big portfolios are young millennials who kind of are starting to realize that nobody in a couple of years time these investments are just not going to be palatable anymore and uh, so that's a real that's a real changing point uh, I, I've noticed that this conversation is becoming more and more uh, common, you know? Yeah, and I hope it's going to get painful for the big business leaders who are not listening. Yeah. Uh, I hope it gets super, super painful, meaning losing jo their jobs at the, you know, at the CEO, um, whole slew of their executives get fired, companies going bankrupt, you know, who fail to, um, you adapt. know, change their, yeah, adapt. It's funny, yeah. It's 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 actually something. It's because the way I've seen it is, you know, technology has come along and has disrupted business, and now I see actually sustainability coming along and disrupting in a similar way. I mean, if you look at uh, Kodak and Blockbuster, those are two mm -hmm. companies that were massive leaders in their field. Both of them right. bankrupt because along came the likes of the Instagram. Um, mm -hmm you know, digital photos, and then along came, uh, Netflix, yeah, yeah. you know, and nowadays we're looking at these huge big companies, like whether the oil companies or whether the, the big real estate guys that aren't making these investments. And I can actually see it being at some point in the future where they have a huge portfolio of dinosaurs, uh, you know, buildings that yeah. nobody wants to rent and the investment right. too huge. The investment they have to make is too big. Mm -hmm. That they actually right. fail, and or that they get booted out mm. for not uh, taking this more seriously at an earlier date. I totally agree because um, climate action is starting to translate into legislation, and that's the important thing. So Washington D.C. Um, enacted laws to say that Washington D.C. will be 100% renewable energy for all electricity by 2032. Wow. Now that has impacted the real estate owners saying, oh my God, we have to reduce the use of our electricity in our buildings. New York City enacted the, um, I think it's called Climate Mobilization Act. 
saying that buildings above, I think, uh, 5,000 square feet need to achieve a certain level of uh, energy efficiency. They're estimating it will cost 8 to 10 billion euros to the existing real estate owners to convert to comply wow right so this is just the beginning and people like me we advocate to policymakers to make it even more severe so i'm the bad guy and the good guy in one we're trying to help uh, the real estate industry to be more sustainable but at the same time we're working with um, the government people to say hey we can do this more stringent uh, requirements I think what's going to actually happen is that um, the climate change uh, that we're all trying to, to prevent is actually going to start happening in a severe way. And suddenly people like the governments that are paying lip service to this are suddenly going to wake up and realize mm. that they're going to be out of a job, first of all, if, they don't, if they're not seen to be taking action. But mm-hmm. the action that they're going to have to take is going to be very painful. It's going to involve, you know, mm-hmm. taxes having to increase. It's going to involve all sorts of unpalatable things that they just don't want to. It's, you know, it's the nettle that they don't want to grasp at the moment. But I think at some point in the future, there's going to be a point of no return where suddenly you're going to the likes of landlords and building owners and saying, yeah. I'm sorry, you have no choice, but you have to do this. And suddenly the guy's going to be on the back foot thinking, we can't afford that. And, well, sorry, that's, that's what you have to do. And whether you can afford it or not, you can go bankrupt if you can't afford it. Right. Well, there are other uh, con- uh, cities or um, countries in, uh, in Europe that you cannot lease your property unless it achieves a certain energy efficiency, right? Right. Okay. So now you're going to wind up with a building if you have uh, – you know, an energy hub, you're not going to be able to sign a lease. Yeah. So meaning you have to dig into your pocket and make, <laughs> rip out those, yeah, rip out those, uh, you know, chillers or boilers. And if and you don't the touch thing. the fabric or the, uh, the envelope or, or change the windows, you're going <laughs> to, you're going to face, uh, the same problem. And I think the same is going to apply in terms of the, the tenants themselves. You're going to have state-run businesses that are not permitted to sign a lease unless a certain level of um, energy efficiency has been achieved as well. But personally, Gavin, I think um, you know, there is that uh, you know, um, scare of uh, potential threats. The brown discounts is going to impact your you know, values negatively and stuff bunch of things related to that but I focus more on the positive things as to how can you make your projects more sustainable so that you can attract better no I don't think it's about the feel good I'm strictly about the money right well there's an element of legacy to it I would have thought Um, no I'm um I don't have legacy I don't have um I don't want to hug a tree, although I love nature and I love sustainability. But uh, the case in hand here is it's all about money. And so how can we help developers make more money, reduce risks so that their risk adjusted investment returns are either equal or better? 
right? Yeah. And all I'm saying is let's calculate it before you write a check. If you don't want to calculate it, then I just consider you stupid. Yeah. And I do hope you go bankrupt because if you don't want to, you know, just uh, you know, open your mind to say, Hey, maybe there, I could do some good in the world and I still make the money that I'm after. Wow. You know, Bonus. you know, but uh, you know, they have no vision for, you know, how can we do build a better world and also make money at it? Yeah. 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 There's so much more people in uh, with that kind of vision in Europe or um, my clients in uh, Lakeview Village, Singapore, um, you know, the ASEAN countries, they're even better than some that I see in Korea. I, I'm very disappointed in Koreans. Are you, you, you live there in Seoul, do you? Yeah, I live in Seoul for 26 years now. Okay. Well, you mentioned you have a, a property in Boston, so I thought maybe you, you were... That's yeah, that was just for my daughter. Uh, I was sick of paying the rent, you know? Yeah, being there. Uh, so <laughs> I said, hey, why don't we um, buy something, at least build value? And then I bought a 100-year-old stick frame house. Wow. And then I said, oh, let's uh, renovate it. It was a lot of fun and uh, some experience building. Get to meet uh, the experts in the field what they, um, you know, propose or suggest. So it was a, a bit, a nice learning experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good case study as well, just for your own experience. Some, I'm starting a project in the next uh, two weeks in one of our buildings and we're completely refurbishing one of the floors after the tenant has vacated after 20 years of occupation. And uh, yeah. So it's uh, so it's a complete refurb. It's uh, completely tear out everything and and start again. So um, so you're gonna completely refurb, uh, just scrape out everything slab to slab. Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I mean, we may be able to retain the floor because the floor there's not a great deal uh, of change in in the raised access floors, but in mm. terms of all of the the M and E. All of that is is changing, you know, um, and uh, and we kind of feel like if we don't make the investment, then you're going to be in this kind of stasis situation where um, people are just not interested in renting your building, mm -hmm. you know. So it's um, yeah, it is. It's, are you, are you going to change the windows? That's something that we're not doing. Actually, it's something that we probably should. But the problem is, is we have it's 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 one of a floor it's, it's one floor out of four floors and if we were to change just that floor it wouldn't work very well we'd have to do all of the other floors and it would be quite disruptive to the existing tenants so that is an element of it that's proving to be quite challenging well um, are those operable windows and you mean do they automatically open and close and stuff or well can you open and close the windows or yes. are they just they are, yes. uh, it's a curtain wall, and I think it does have openable sections. Because uh, there are some uh, solutions where you don't touch the exterior. And uh, for the window openings, you just put a, a second window. Okay, I understand, yeah. And uh, Yeah, and uh, you try to improve the tightness of the envelope, and uh, where the window is, because you have two windows, the air in between the two windows acts as a, a, some insulation so right. it does help uh, you know keep you uh, 
a little warmer in the winter without spending too much oil or gas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've seen those double skin uh, kind of solutions out there, but um, well, yeah. not double, not double skin facades. This is just in the window area. Oh, okay, it's actually <coughs> just applied to the glass itself. Yeah. Okay. There's a um, maybe one inch or two or you know three to five centimeters of space go toward the inside and they right. put in this uh, glass sealed yeah. if it's operable it can be an operable window on the inside right. but anyway uh, those are some solutions and it's not shouldn't be all that expensive but again you know uh, if you measure how much money we're dealing with how much energy then you'll know whether it's worth it or not yeah yeah you know you you can calculate the investment return on that additional investment that you might consider yeah, and if you're yeah. not you know me, you know at least calculating that you're just taking a which way yeah. is the wind blowing and just put yeah whether the investment paid off or anything yeah collecting the data for energy efficiency health and well-being and space optimization those are the three areas that if we had data on i think we can help drive down our uh, expenses or increase our income uh, in Period. terms of space optimization what are some of the solutions that you're you're talking about is it the covering the, the space between buildings is that one of them no uh, <clears throat> uh, there's a bunch of prop tech solutions uh, valta trofino turned me on to some We've discovered some on our own. Are you talking and, about sensors um, inside the building to, to space usage and stuff? Yes. Okay. So um, what they have is um, most of them have like, oh, let's take basking or lone rooftop, uh, Octo, Space SETI. These are prop tech space solutions. Space yeah, those, yeah. So um, they're discovering one uh, use case I saw some details on was Colliers, they did five or six of their buildings, and they um, discovered that at any peak in, of the day, they're only using like 75% of the space that yeah. they're leasing. So they're either out in meetings. So um, you can hire 10% more of your staff without leasing more space. Yeah, that's down to agile workplace policies and things like that. Right. Or you can give back space. And in this case, they said, uh, we're not using 25%. Let's give back 10%. And they saved uh, almost uh, 4 million euros. So 4 million euros, cap it at a 5%. That's 80 million euros increase in corporate value if the corporate value had a 5% uh, you know, cap. I get you. Yeah. Not bad. No, it's good. It's it's funny you say that. It's um it's an I've seen that in our own park here. One of our tenants um here in the park approached me and uh, they asked if I if I could get them more space, and so I started to drill into the detail. You know how much space? Forty five desks. They wanted to hire forty five more people for their team, and so I started to ask questions. I started to say to them things like. Okay, well, how many staff do you have at the moment, and how you know frequently are they in the office, and these kind of questions that you're talking about, 
And it mm. turned out that they have a policy where 50% of their staff can work from home at any time during the week. So they have, I think they have 180 staff currently and up to 90 of those staff at any one time could be out of the office working from home. So that's 90 desks sitting empty. And yet they have a policy that every member of staff is entitled to their own personal desk. And so they're, yeah. they're looking to hire another 45 desks, even though most of the time 90 desks are sitting empty in the building. And it, mm. it means it, it's crazy, it's expensive, it makes no sense in terms of space utilization, but it's just, it's a kind mm. of policy. And funnily enough, this is a technology company, but mm -hmm. they're, they're, de they're developing pieces of technology. They're not actually applying the innovation to their own workplace. Well, I think some of these tools uh, are good for um, client retention. That's true. And um, client, uh, attracting clients. And net-net, what it uh, boils down to, and uh, the edge buildings, they do that, is part of the office space that you have, you're, you're having a kind of a co-working flex space. Right. So that when some of these companies, they, you know, they're maxed out, but they have a special project and they have to bring in 10, 15 people Right, to work on this storage. project for six months. Right. So then they can rent out uh, part of this co-working space. For, and obviously co-working is working because when you uh, rent out per person, it's more profitable than if you're renting out per square meter. So, you know, that's another way that you can enhance your revenues per square meter of space that you own right okay i get you yeah no it makes a lot of sense i like uh, it's actually a solution that i've considered myself is that if you take mm. an existing building it's a similar solution to what you're talking about you take say 20 percent of your floor area and allocate that over to either co-working space or a kind yeah. of yeah uh, and that way you can offer your tenants in the higher floors that exactly mm -hmm. where you can say to them, look, if you, you need overspill or if you need meeting rooms or if you need yes, yes. that kind of thing, you don't have to allocate that to your own space. You can share it and you can just pay on, a, on an hourly basis mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. At the edge, <clears throat> you know, they, they want to make it cool place, but uh, on their first floor, you walk in, and it's not a typical office building lobby. It's a coffee shop. And the people who are the office lobby policemen or the, the receptionists, they're just hanging out on the side. So if, they, if you have a badge and you, they know you, they let you in, don't bother. If you're a foreigner like me, they step up and say, how can we help you? And then they have their little iPads and they register and boom, you're done, right? Okay. So if you're, can you walk in off the street as a, as a member of the public and just sit down at their no. coffee table? No. Okay. If you have an event and you're registered for the event, that's what you first walk into. You walk, continue into the uh, first floor and it's heavily plants, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And then in one area, they have the stadium seating. Bleacher seats, kind of, yeah. Yes, yes. But it's 
but it's really cool so that when you have an event, they have screen on the first floor. People can be sitting up there and looking down and participating in the uh, seminar or workshop or whatever it may be. So they have some pretty cool uh, event spaces or presentation spaces like for it, yeah. tenants as well as outdoor people. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, I, think, I like the idea of the, the seminar so you can ho host kind of uh, after work kind of uh, sessions and uh, yeah, the, yeah, the idea right. of bringing in a, an entrepreneur to talk about his journey or one of those those can be quite interesting talks to so yeah, just yeah, join and them. you have a community manager who's always working on that kind of software content piece. Yeah, yeah, you know, she understands or he understands who are your tenants. You're always talking to them. What are they working on? Hey, that sounds interesting. Would you like them to come here and, and speak? And we'll bring in our ecosystem of investors to listen in on them. Yeah, I think that's great. That's, that's how the whole thing should work, really, isn't it? Yeah. Right. And that's, uh, you know, converting your business park where this is my office. You drive, go into your office, work, get in your car, leave. Yeah. There's no, like, uh, interaction yeah. or where you call a a innovation district so I think maybe one evolution of your business park could start getting into the innovation lab urban innovation lab or urban innovation district yeah and kind of connect with the city's overall smart city master plan it does make a lot of sense uh, because I, it's something that I looked at. Actually, if you combine that with a university, a research university, it can really you can really see some good results then because they start to apply Absolutely. the commercialization of the you know the PhDs and the research. You are right on. So uh, when I go in end of uh, February, I complain to the um, the architect and the owner. I said, "Hey, this looks like a business park." You drive in, go to the back, park your car. There's no interaction. I think we need to have connectivity. Yeah. And then I'm having um, the to develop a public-private academia partnership. I I created these slides. I told Lakeview I want to um, share this with universities and um, anchor tenants, potential anchor tenants. I think that's great. Yeah. 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 So um, it's something that actually I um, I believe one of the criticisms I've heard of Sidewalk Labs is that they're they're not particularly into sharing the the information and the data. They're quite protective of a, of all of that information, and also privacy kind of has raised its head. I believe. Yeah, <clears throat> for me, um, uh, privacy, data sharing, uh, cybersecurity. I say. Can we put that aside for a moment and let's discuss what are we trying to achieve? Uh, the risks of data privacy and cybersecurity will always be there. It's like a knife. Are you going to use it to cut your steak or are you going to use it to as a weapon? It's either so, a tool or a weapon, yeah. So let's put that, you know, there are experts there. And uh, if you have any suggestions, as to how to address privacy, cybersecurity, let's talk about it. Let's get the experts in the room to develop a structure where it's palatable to the public, 
the private, academia, and the citizens, right? I think my uh, basic thing was, you know, there are a lot of solutions out there, smart city solutions, smart parking, smart street lights, smart healthcare, smart energy, so many solutions. And then even on the prop tech for uh, inside the buildings, a lot of solutions for energy efficiency and health and well-being. And what I wanted to say was, let's put, uh, let's, you know, think about solutions versus the platform, right? Yeah. And these yeah. solutions, uh, they'll, they'll be even more going over time. It's going to constantly evolve. But uh, I was trying to say to the, uh, the listeners, the experts out there, hey, please focus on maybe the, um, the, the platform. How do we get that data up onto a common platform so now data analytics can occur? And better decisions, uh, because these, these solutions in themselves, they're, they're, they're silos in it, in it of themselves. Yeah, that's an issue. Right? Yeah. And uh, the, the customer like yourself, you need to solve a whole range of issues and challenges. And these prop tech guys are saying, oh, yes, but we can solve this. And then another prop tech per, uh, company is, oh, but we solve that. And, and, you know, and then you need like 15 dashboards in order to manage it all. Right. So get it up on a common digital twin. Yeah. And there you kind of pull in. Because if you want to um, manage uh, energy efficiency in a building, you do want to know occupancy. Yeah, right? of course. And you do want to know weather conditions. And you want to know CO2 levels. and Right. So you're pulling in data sets yeah, from different areas. Then you can make a proper decision. Interesting mm -hmm. to see who provides that uh, common platform. I'm talking with um, uh, NEC. Okay. Hitachi, Tata Consulting Services, Tech Mahindra. These are two giants from India. I know Tata. Indians are like, yeah. yeah, Indians are really good with their programming, right? And that is the common layer. I wish I could talk to a Google or a, a Microsoft. You know, they're much sexier, but they're that much more difficult to, to work with. Yeah, right? they have their own set way to do things. Right. So uh, I'd like to work with maybe a second-tier big company. Um, that is less well known than, like, uh, than the Google and Microsoft, but yeah. they're also, you know, multi-billion dollar companies in their own right. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, <clears throat> Chung Ha, it's, um, I'm conscious of, of your time. I think we'll leave it there. Chunga, great to speak to you. Thank you very much. Yes, so of nice course. to see you again, Gavin. Not at all. It's uh, it's good, and I hope you enjoyed your wine. It looks like you're coming to the the end of it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye bye. I know. So that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mr. Chung Ha Cha. Can I suggest you go and look at the show notes for this episode because there's going to be quite a few links there for the uh, various organizations and uh, companies that Chung Ha mentioned during the show. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you found this episode useful, please consider sharing it out to any friends or contacts you have who you think you might get uh, some use from it. And if you want to connect with me directly or, or follow me on social media, 
My website is gavinjgallagher.com and if you go forward slash go, that brings you to an initial page where you can sign up to the newsletter as well. And lastly, guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, then I think you're going to enjoy my YouTube channel, PropTech TV, where I post videos. Um, a lot of the videos are actually coming directly from this podcast. I chop up the videos into small bite-sized kind of uh, information where you can get some great value. So check that out. All right, guys, I hope you have a great week and I'll see you all next Monday. Mm-hmm.